this inerrant and fallible word of God we get to hear preached tonight says, may not be on the screen, that's okay. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That sound familiar? It should. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. He makes the winds his messengers, flaming fire his ministers. He established the earth upon its foundation so that it will not totter forever and ever. You covered it with the deep as with the garment. The waters were standing above the mountains at your rebuke. They fled at the sound of your thunder. They hurried away. The mountains arose. The valley sank down to the place where which your, you established for them. Excuse me. You set a boundary that they may not pass over so that they will not return to cover the earth. He sends forth springs in the valleys. They flow between the mountains. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Besides them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They lift up their voices among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man so that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine which makes man's heart glad so that he may make his face glisten with oil and food which sustains man's heart. The trees of the Lord drink their fill, the cedars of Lebanon which he planted where the birds build their nest and the stork whose home is the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The cliffs are a refuge for the sheriffim. Uh, he made the moon for the seasons. The sun knows the place of its setting. You appoint darkness and it becomes night in which all the beasts of the forest prowl about. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they withdraw and lie down in their dens. Man goes forth to his work and to his labor until evening. O Lord, how many are your works? In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. There is the sea great and broad in which we are and which are swarms without number, animals both small and great. There the ships move along, and Leviathan, which you have formed, to sport in it. They all wait for you to give them their food in due season. You give to them, they gather it up. You open your hands, and they are satisfied with good. You hide your face, they are dismayed. You take away their spirit, they expire and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in his works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Let my meditation be pleasing to him. As for me, I shall be glad in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Everybody, it's great to have this opportunity again and just to, just to get to learn and to study, I really do appreciate it. So as Pastor Cody already read the psalm, we're doing Psalm 104. past two Sunday nights, we've done um, Psalm 103. It's often paired together with Psalm 104. And um, its premise is that David is stirring up within himself to see God for who he is, to praise him for his work, and specifically focuses on God's work of creation. Um not just in his almighty power to, to speak things into existence, but, but in his knowledge that he has for everything to work in harmony, the glory that it reflects, and the, the love that he has for his creation. It's also a great study in how this pairs 
with Genesis 1. It flows pretty seamlessly with that, without account of creation. And it's just one of the many instances throughout the Bible where, where books that are written you know, hundreds of years apart by different men all weave seamlessly together to paint that picture of God and His plan of redemption through Christ. So tonight we're going to study the nature of God through his creation, and hopefully it'll result just like it did for David for us, and allow it to move our souls not only to praise God, but to give us give us that picture of who he is to change our view of God and of ourselves. In seeing and confessing God as a sovereign creator, it leaves us no choice but to see him as king over us and all of his creation. David saw all of this. He saw God in His holiness. He saw God so great, so powerful, and so holy that it commanded His worship. There was no option but to worship God. He saw the distance between God and sin and how David's sin separated him from God. But then he saw God's love for His creation and His care. And that's what's good for us. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That God, even though we are separated from Him, that we don't deserve His love, that He's made a way that he loves us and he's made a plan for redemption. So my hope and prayer is that as we look through these passages tonight, is that we would see God's greatness through his creation, but that we would respond in submission to him as the creator. So let's begin in reading verse 1. Psalm 104, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. So we see right off the bat here, David is calling himself to worship. He's picking himself up, kicking himself into gear, and he's ready to worship the Lord. There's a lot that we can learn from this, just in the, the initiative that he took to seek after God and to praise him. He started off Psalm 103 the same way, and Cody talked about that, how he, how he commanded himself to worship, how it's that submissive kind of worship. And knowing how easily it is, even for us as God's children, just to grow cold, grow tired, or even grow lazy to God. We all have to learn to keep ourselves pointed towards God, to beg God to guide us for His directions and for His presence in our life. We need to learn to focus on who He is and what He's done. Because I think if we get just even just a small glimpse of who God really is and to see, just try to grasp what He's done, it's enough to praise Him for the rest of our lives. Following after God's work, it can be, it can be hard. It can be inconvenient. It can be difficult. It can be unpopular. But as we've learned time and time again from all these psalms, it seems like, that God's praise isn't conditional on our circumstances. It's because of who he is and what he's done. So this is what David draws his attention to. After calling himself to worship, why should he worship him? Why should he bless the Lord? The answer is right there in verse 1. It's because God is very great. Not just good. He's not amazing. He's very great. He's the greatest of all. There's none higher. No one more powerful. He's at a level of greatness that we honestly can only begin to understand. So David starts off calling himself to this worship, seeing the glory of God, seeing his greatness, but then he uses the rest of the psalm to describe this greatness. And what better way to ponder God's greatness than to look through his creations? Um, one of the best and the most common passages for this is um, in Psalm 19. It tells us that the heavens declare God's glory. All creation points to God, not only to just his existence, but to his power, to his knowledge, his love, to his character. Everything God has created points back to him. To show who he is and also to show what he's like. Just look around. 
see how everything has a purpose, how it works harmoniously, how there's nothing missing, how everything is perfect. There's no, there's no freak accident. There's no happenstance that made this happen. This is the work of God. When I was studying this psalm, I just thought of, I've, I've traveled a lot of different places. I've seen a lot of different things. And just, you know, you go to these places, like I think of like in Chattanooga or the mountains or anything, you look over these big valleys and you see all this land and you, and you see like places like Niagara Falls or the Grand Canyon. And I've always had people in my life that were, that are quick to give praise back to God, but to, to look over that and to see that and to, to immediately just turn that to worship to God saying how great God must be, or to see even just like an animal, just so, even just a small creature, so designed, so just every little last detail, like an artist just painted it, shows how caring and so how, how dedicated God is and how much he must love and care for us just to put us in this. Everything has a purpose and everything works in harmony. So the very concept of there being a creation implies a subjectiveness to the creator. So if, we're, if we say that the word creation, it just assumes that there's a creator and that we are subject to him. It's easy for us to say that God is Lord over all creation because honestly we think of, we think of nature when we hear creation. We think of the land, we think of the trees and the mountains and the weather and anything. But that's what we think of. But rarely do we want to include ourselves in that list. Somehow we, we rationalize that God is reigning over the earth. He's set all this in motion. He's all powerful. But that when it comes to us, he's just sitting around waiting for us to ask him something for us, for him to do it right away. My friends, in that situation that we've made up in our minds, we're putting ourselves as God in that situation. We have to see God as the creator so we can put him in his rightful place and then we will fall in line to that. It's imperative that we have that view of God as a sovereign creator because only then can we see who we really are. And then we can see that our purpose is to glorify him. But the problem is that that goes against a lot of what our cultural mindset is around us. Our cultural mindset is it's empowering to the individual, right? That, that Americanism. Sometimes the values themselves that, that might be around us, they might not all be bad, but we have to first and foremost let the Bible shape our worldview. We can't let what, what we're taught, what we grew up with, even, even part of our church culture dictate what we believe. It has to all be grounded and shaped by the Bible. Because here in America, we're told, we're told to make our own paths, right? Make our own, own decisions. We have to choose our own destiny. We seize the opportunity. We make the deal. We advance ourselves, even just to provide for a better life for our families. But almost always, we're putting ourselves first in those situations. And we naturally just tend to worship ourselves. But we're told to follow our hearts and to do whatever makes us happy. But this isn't what God's designed us to do. We have to see ourselves subject to God in every aspect of our lives. There's no part of our lives that isn't subject to God. So often we have our plans, our desires, the things that we want to go after, and then we just kind of want to add God in on the side. We just kind of want to sprinkle him on, or we want to get his stamp of approval. That's not what God has called us to do. Another big danger of viewing God as the sovereign creator is the theory of evolution. It's, it's the first thing that we probably think of when we think of creation. It's, it's the big debate. So this has snuck into our society, and it changes the viewpoints on so many issues that aren't even necessarily directly linked to creation. The biggest of which is in removing that creator, 
it removes our purpose to glorify him. Instead, we're told that we're just the, the product of countless accidents, that we're just sugar water getting struck by lightning and evolving and evolving, and we're just somehow just a little bit better than an evolved animal. What a hopeless and just an empty view to look at our lives. It removes all of our accountability, and it puts us on a plane as just some, someone that's just acting on their instincts with no direction. That teaching has gradually and subtly kicked God out of our culture. It's kicked him out of our lives, and it promotes this, this me-first humanistic outlook. So tonight, by looking at God's creation, our goal should be to view God for who he is, is very great, as David says, the sovereign creator of the world and of yourself. And we should let that viewpoint shape our lives. So in light of this, we're going to look at the psalm and divide it up into four different areas in creation that reflect God. The first of which is God's supreme power. We're going to start in the second part of verse 1. It says, You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a cloak. The beauty of this psalm and how it works with the creation story in, um, in Genesis 1 is just, it's nothing but astounding. It's, David is praising God from the scriptures. So David's taking God's word and letting that be like his hymn book, his, his structure for this psalm, and to turn those words back to praise and glory to God. His first point here is that God covers himself with light, which is the first day of creation. It's in Genesis 1-3. And this is where God speaks light into existence. It's so interesting to me that God creates light before he creates the sun. This makes God the ultimate source of light. It's very common back in, in the Old Testament and in the Bible for um, the pagan cultures to worship the sun or to worship sun gods. And, but there's many references in the Bible referring to God as the light. God wants us to look to him for, for the light, for life, and for understanding. He wants to be that ultimate source for us. And he also wants to show that he's greater than any man-made God. He's greater than all of nature. He is the source of light, and he is very great. So the next part of his greatness and his supreme power that we see is him setting up the firmament, which is day two. Verse two, it says, Covering yourself with light as a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. So this is referring to the second day of creation. This is 1-7. And David is in awe of God's greatness, describing how he sets up the earth, just like he would set up a tent or build a house. So I, he's just he's just operating on so much of a higher level than we are. So I think of when when I build things, right? So when I when I build something and I get it done, I step back and like to look at it. You know, maybe take a couple pictures or show somebody, look at the details, and I know the steps that it took to get there, and you just have that satisfaction and that pleasure in it. This is what God's doing, but on, on such a greater scale. Because, you see, when me or you build something, we're, all we're doing, we're compiling materials. We're, we're sourcing it, and we're just putting it together. When God's creating, he's speaking this into existence. He's creating nothing. He's creating from nothing using just his words, and it's happening. When you think about really what this passage is describing and what God's doing, it's, it's really it's just amazing. He's doing the unthinkable with the waters and the atmosphere creating and designing, putting everything, spinning it into motion, and doing it all as it's something simple, like he's just setting up a tent. So, so we see God's supreme power 
and speaking these things into existence. But secondly, we see God's unlimited knowledge. And it has to do with the harmony of creation. So, so God doesn't have just the, just the power to speak something into existence, but then he has the knowledge to make it all work together and to sustain it. Verse 5 says, He established the earth upon its foundations so that it will not totter forever and ever. So it starts us off perfectly by giving us the example of God setting the foundations of the world. He set the earth in a perfect place for us. I just looked up a few kind of interesting facts just about the earth and how our placement in the solar system and everything. But the earth rotates at 1,000 miles per hour at, equa- at the equator and orbits the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. But yet, we're perfectly stable with gravity. Um, we orbit the sun at the same pattern every year. You know, the distance from the sun is, is precise. And the, between the distance and the axis of the, the earth, that's what gives us our seasons. You know, if we, if we were too much closer to the sun, it would be too hot and water wouldn't be able to exist as a liquid. If we were too far, everything would be cold and frozen. God, he's designed us and he's set us perfectly in this place for everything to work together and to support his creation, all to ultimately just bring him glory. I just, I don't get how anyone can look at this something designed, something so so intricate and so so complete and think that it was just an accident. Because I can't. David couldn't either. And just by looking at the world around him, David was driven to praising God. Not just for the, the power to create, but for the knowledge and then the attention to details. Verse 6 says, You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they hurried away. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place which you established for them, so that they will not return to cover the earth. So this carries on with the timeline of creation in day three. And this is the creation of dry land in Genesis 1-9. So David says that God designed the mountains and the valleys. He shaped the boundaries and made it to where the water wouldn't overflow it. David then begins to describe God's knowledge and how he designed his creation harmoniously to support its life how he made the springs of the fresh water for the creatures to drink. Verse 13 says how God waters the earth with the rain, causing it to be satisfied and sustained with water to grow the plants and the vegetation. This vegetation says it would be used for shelter for the birds, as mentioned 17, but also food for both the animals and man. Verse 14 says he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and the vegetation for the labor of man so that he may bring forth food from the earth. And wine, which makes man's heart glad, so that he may, so that he may make his face glisten with oil, and his food, which sustains man's heart. So God created food for us, but He doesn't just give us this single bland food flavor, right? We have all these different, just a plethora of different foods, each one tasting different. Even the same food can taste different in different varieties. So it's not just for our needs, but it's also for our enjoyment and our happiness that he gives us to us. All this should, in turn, cause us to have joy, but cause us to give praise back to God. I mean, if there's anyone that can praise God for food, it's Baptist, right? That's what we're known for. And the first thing I think of, I think of our Thanksgiving dinner. Like, it's, the, it's just a spread, right? All the food, all the flavors, all the seasonings, we got different varieties of all the same stuff, and it's just a really good meal, right? So think of all those things blended together. God didn't have to do that. He, did, he could have just given us one flavor. It could have all tasted like water. He didn't even have to give us taste buds. But 
just think of that just in that silly little single insignificant detail to the grand picture of things he shows us his creativity and he shows us how harmonious and how everything can work together god is very great so this brings us to day four of creation verse 19 and 20 it says he made the moon for the seasons the sun to know its place of its setting you appoint darkness and it becomes night in which all the beasts of the forest prowl about so this is talking about the knowledge that god has to set up the sun and the moon and the stars how they all work together for his glory and for our use so the sun gives us a consistent schedule of light it's like it's what we plan our days by our whole life revolves around the daytime and the scheduling that it gives us it's something sure it's something dependable it's always the same the moon gives us the reflection just some of that light so at nighttime when it's dark we can see it also the moon has many more functions like the like the tide growing seasons and all sorts of different things the stars for many years were used for navigation and for measurements and think about this so all these things this is what our society our humanity we feel so accomplished and so proud that we've figured these things out and how they work but think this is, comes as no surprise to God this is how he designed it I think it would really shock and humble us and the people of the world if, if we just realized the fraction of the things that we know about God's creation compared to what he does we can get so puffed up with what we know that we we make ourselves bigger out than we ought to be so now we come to what I feel like is the pinnacle or the, or the peak of the psalm. It's in verse 24. And David is so overwhelmed by this list. He's just, he's just listing off what God has done. And he's so overwhelmed that he just has to stop. He's got the list in front. He's got the structure of creation in front of him. And he has to stop. He can't continue until he just stops and praises God. It says, verse 24, O Lord, how many are your works? In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. So God's works are innumerable. We can't even imagine the number of details that he's put into even just a single element of his creation. And then he's filled the earth with all these different creations, each having all these details. And then not just in the earth, but all out into the heavens. David realizes that everything around him is because of God. And that God is the rightful owner because he's the creator. It says the earth is full of your possessions. God's creations are his possessions. So this this just this isn't it. Sorry, this just isn't the list that we can make of of the of you know the trees and the waterfalls and the animals and stuff. This is this is me and you. We are his creations and we are his rightful possessions. This is everything that we can compile in our lives. This is our goals, our ambitions, everything that we could ever obtain, and it's all rightfully God's. And when we look at when we look at God in our lives in this light. It almost seems silly to try to hold on to something, right? To something, we're wanting to hold on to something as ours, when really, that's God's and we're God's. It makes no sense to fight Him. So we've seen His power, we've seen His knowledge. But the third aspect is where God becomes personal to us, and that's His love. Day five of creation, and this is where God begins to, to make living things. He made the animals in the sea, and He made the birds, Genesis 1.20. Says, David looks to the sea, the vast amounts of water, and the, and the area underneath its surface, full of all kinds of creatures, so many that we still don't even know everything that's down there. I read something said, every year we discover 200 aquatic species every year. Verse 25 says, 
There is the sea, great and broad, in which are swarms without number, animals both small and great. There the ships move along, and Leviathan, which you have formed to sport in. So it says, the small to the great. So from the smallest minnow to this Leviathan, this great sea monster, it says that they're all dependent upon God. And day six is where God made animals and man. And it's mentioned throughout verses 14 and 23. We see how God made wine, oil, and food for man. We see how the earth gives shelter to the animals and how fresh springs give them drink. How God is always providing for the lives that he created. And through this, we can see how much that God really does care for his creation. Verse 27 says, They all wait for you to give them their food in due season. You give to them, they gather it up. You open your hand, they are satisfied with good. You hide your face, they are dismayed. You take away their spirit, they expire and return to their dust. The love that God must have to provide for his creation. We truly are totally dependent on God. We, we don't like to think of ourselves like that, but we are so dependent on God, we don't even realize it. Because God is the ultimate giver and taker of life. It says that when we expire, we go back to our dust. I love how that's phrased. It really, it really caught me. No matter what it is, it could be a huge animal like an elephant. It could be a majestic bird like an eagle. It could be the most powerful and successful person that you know. When God takes their life, they go right back to the dust which he created them from. And that just really struck me. It made me think to make my life matter for something that's, that lasts more than dirt. What am I going to have to show for my life when everything turns to dirt? Not, some, not something that a, that's a worldly possession, not a, not a fleshly pursuit, but what, what did I do for God that's going to last? Because really in the end, it all just goes back to dirt. So lastly, I want to consider the purpose of it all. Why has God made us? Why has he made the rest of creation? It's, it's simple, and it's all throughout the Bible. God made us for his glory. When we look at this psalm, we see God's glory all throughout his creation. You see on um, verse 31 through 34, having to do with, with the seventh day of creation, the Sabbath. This is when God rested and admired his work. He blessed it as the Sabbath, and um, we'll read here about how David describes it. It says, Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in his works. So David's imagining here God looking over his creation. God saying it's very good because he is the all-powerful creator and he's made it. And God is deserving of every ounce of glory because he is the creator. It's rightfully his. Verse 32 says, He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they smoke. So all the power in nature, the natural disasters, hurricanes, volcanoes, earthquakes, anything that we can think of, just that raw natural power, just a single touch or a glance from God, all that pales in comparison compared to him. So we see here the structure of the psalm is David's call to worship, and then he's describing God's greatness through his power, his knowledge, his love, and his glory. But then it, the psalm ends with a, with a very good, like a conclusion, or almost a resolve. And it just poses the question, what do we do because of this great God? Verse 33 says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have been. When David looks at the works God has done, when he views him as a sovereign creator, he can't help but sing praise to God. 
the same should be for us. If we're really seeing God for who he is, for what he's done, he deserves to get all the credit, all the glory. We can't even begin to compare to him. We have no choice but to praise him as his creation. So then how does it apply to us? What is, what is your view of God? Not just something that we, not just a churchy answer that we know from Sunday school, not just something that we know to repeat, but what do your actions really say about your view for God? We, all need, to, we need to call out to God to reveal himself to us, giving us faith, giving us understanding, and to change our views and to align them with his. Verse 33 closes out saying, while I have my being. So while David had his God-given life, he was going to use it to praise God. That's what he saw his purpose to be. What do you see your purpose as? Do you see it as to glorify God? Do you see it as to follow after God? And if so, what are you doing today to follow after God? It's not going to be easy. We might have to kick ourselves in gear. We might have to seek after God. We might go through dry spells or hard times, but we have to keep following after Christ. We need to rest in Him and to call out to Him. Verse 34 says, Let my meditation be pleasing to Him. As for me, I shall be glad in the Lord. So then in light of God being Creator, our reaction should be to push towards sanctification. The writer here wants his thoughts, wants his hearts, and wants everything that he's pursuing and going after to be pleasing to God. Seeing God as creator, he wants to move away from anything that's self-serving, that's self-satisfying, or something, something selfish because he sees God as so much greater. He wants to move and have his life follow after that. Where's your heart and mind? Is it under God's direction? Do you see God being worthy of possessing your time, your treasures, and ultimately yourself? Verse 35 says, Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. So when David ponders the greatness of God, he sees how futile and how foolish anything that tries to stand against him really is. God, he sees God in his holiness, the same way that we need to see God in his holiness and his greatness. Where, and it caused him, and it should cause us, to have a hatred for sin. Because ultimately, that is, that's just going to melt away. It's going to be removed. And it begs the question, do we have a view of God and of his holiness and are so committed to following after him that it causes us to hate the sin in our own life? So we have to, as the psalm begins, constantly be stirring up ourselves, looking to who God really is, begging God to reveal himself to us. I think the biggest obstacles we have in this view of God is going to be sin in our life, and it's going to be even just simple, small distractions. We can get so bogged down in our daily life that we just lose sight of the big picture of God, just in that, in that selfish, of that, of that self-satisfying mindset. So may God be ever-present to us, and may He use all of His works, just like Psalm 19 says, to point us back to Him. And when we look around and see His creation and see this world that He's made, may that drive us to worship Him, and let us resolve to keep our lives focused on viewing God for who He is, for He is very great. Thank you. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the blessing that it is to us, God. Just how you reveal yourself, God, as the as the holy sovereign creator, God. I pray, Lord, that 
that just maybe one of these verses, God, would stick with us this week, that we would see you for who you are in your holiness, God, and that we would that we would submit ourselves to you. I ask, Lord, you bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.